Radio. Hello, listeners. I'm Anthony Rapp, and you are listening to the Radio 8 Ball Show with Andras Jones. Welcome to Radio 8 Ball. Give us a sh sh shake. We're here on Feral Tempting. Welcome to Radio 8 Ball, the show where we answer questions by picking songs at random and interpreting those randomly chosen songs as the answers to the questions. I'm your host, Andras Jones, and every show features a musical guest who provides the oracle fodder for our musical divinations. And on this show, which we're recording here on, what is it, November... Uh, 10th. No, no. Is it the 10th? It is. November 10th, 2017, <laughs> and it's going to be coming out the week of the solstice. And we're here with Vivian Cook. Welcome to Radio 8 Ball, Vivian. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And uh, I've been a fan of your music for about a year and a half, two years now, since I heard it, heard your record that my friend R. Walt Vincent produced. Yeah, well. And you have eight songs on the board. I do. Uh, do you want to play just uh, some... Play some chords, and I can read your songs over. Oh, okay. Song number one, Harvest Moon. Song number two, Just Kids. Song number three, More. Song number four, Take Me to the Water. Song number five, Train Conversations. Song number six, Truth. Song number seven, whatever. Song number eight, where in the world? Yes, indeed. Those are the eight songs that will be the answers, the randomly chosen answers to the questions we ask throughout this show. I have so many things I want to say to Vivian. Uh, it's, it's very fortuitous that you're here. At the time when I knew Walt... And Marshall, who's in the band, when we first met, we were about we we're about we we're about your age, oh. and we were just starting out playing music. And I got to say, when I hear your record and hear what great things Walt did for it, it just gets me very excited. And I feel like I want to make sure I want to champion you to our audience. Oh. I feel like you. I feel like uh, songwriters have a rough go of it, and that's kind of what we try and make Radio Eight Ball is a space where songwriters can really be heard and appreciated. And so, with that said, I have to, uh, I guess, maybe a, a, a little bit apologize. I know we talked about it before, but I'm going to take the show into some very personal territory. I Thank do you think for apologizing. I do think of it as a magical ritual that we do when we do this. And usually I ask the guests, our musical guests, to find a bunch of guests, like cool and impressive people, to ask questions. And so you did kind of totally bone that one. <laughs> you couldn't find anyone, which is okay. Which is okay because that gives me the opportunity to send myself a solstice gift into the future, mm -hmm. which is to I'm have a conversation that I have been wanting to have for a long time. So let's talk a little bit about the origins of Radio 8 Ball. Radio 8 Ball began at the Evergreen State College. Where my, uh, I've talked a lot about my father and the dream seminars that he led over the course of this show so far, uh, previous episodes. 
and how that influenced Radio 8 Ball. But I haven't talked a lot about him. He was an educator and he was one of the founding faculty at Evergreen. And so that brought me and my, fa my family there in 1970. And I pretty much grew up on the campus. I was two years old when I moved to Olympia. And in the early 90s, when I was living in Los Angeles and acting and having a band with Walt and Marshall and uh, a band called Mr. Jones and the Previous, and then eventually just the previous, and then it just eventually just me. Um, uh, I, uh, my, my father came down with, uh, with basically Alzheimer's, and I moved back to Olympia to be with him, and uh, my new wife at the time, who I just married, she moved there with me, and incredibly, my band moved there with me, and no we way. lived in a house, and we toured out of... Uh, out of Los, out Good of uh, Olympia, yeah, yeah, and they were. It was, it was. You know, we were, we still are true believers. And after, after a while, the band, we, it, they all were such great musicians. Eventually, they were all going to find their way back to Los Angeles or New York or, once someone's case, Lawrence, Kansas. Uh, <laughs> where all great musicians go. <laughs> and. Uh, and I stayed there because it felt it felt like home, and I want I still had some uh, healing and mourning and I don't know integrating to do after my father died, and so I went for a year to Evergreen as a student. And what did you study? Sustainability in art, and I was actually in class oh. with uh, Carrie Brownstein. Oh, cool! And a bunch of other you know a bunch of other people who were pretty cool. In fact, someone who's going to be on the show later on. <laughs> Teaser. And so I went to school there for a year, and then I started doing a show on Chaos, the radio station there, late nights, so this show called Radio 8 Ball. And actually, it created itself. We initially were just playing songs at random and talking about them, and it was called The Pirate Shuffle. And then <laughs> synchronicity started happening, and then we started, like, we'd be talking about something, and then the song would reflect what we were talking about, and we're like, oh, yeah. well, this is interesting. And then people started calling in and asking questions. And it evolved from there into the Radio 8 Ball uh, show. And I ended up doing it for about, doing the show there for about 10 years with several different co-hosts. And it was, uh, it was the most beautiful part of my life. While I was still very much pursuing music and acting, at that point, Radio 8 Ball was really more of a spiritual activity. I had no goals for it. I just loved being on the campus where was I grew up. Was it weekly? Yeah, weekly. Like church? Every oh, Tuesday okay. from 6 to 8. Uh, starting in 2004, we moved from late night to an actual primetime spot. And then things really started to go well. We got like NPR did a piece on us and uh, we started doing the show live at other venues. There was a station in Seattle where I started doing the show as well. It was really exciting. And this is where it gets eh, a little bit eh, and I'm going to try and say it in the nicest way. I had one of my co-hosts got weirdly fixated on me, and uh, I eventually, I had, I had a reporter, and there was stuff that went on, and eventually uh, I asked her not to do the show because it got too creepy, and when uh, she, when I did, she really freaked out, like, she started she was posting horrible stuff about me online, stuff that now we would recognize as cyberbullying, and also act like just anonymous threatening emails against me and my girlfriend at the time and it was just scary and ugly and it felt like it was coming from everywhere when it actually was coming from a couple of people who were being really malicious and I went to the station management and I told them what was going on I was being harassed and they sort of said get over it dude it's not a big deal it's not our problem which basically gave this person even more license to do what they did and eventually the 
things escalated to the point where the station manager at the time like came into the studio before I went on the air and accosted me and like was calling me names and yelling at me right before I went on the air and I filed a report about it and that's when they basically decided to get rid of me and mm. when they got rid of me and the station people called in and this was after the show had been on the air for 10 years uh, people called in with no goodbye or anything and they said I'd moved to Seattle, which was a lie. And then they filed a false report with the local, with the campus police, which was at this again. Uh, that's all the information. Well, the only other piece of information you need to know is that for 10 years, this I, I've been trying to get some kind of uh, some kind of closure or healing or some an apology or some so your closure correction. is dependent on another person um well that's this is one of this is actually goes to my question mm-hmm. um so so yeah so i have basically i've spent a lot of time i spent a lot of time and energy forgiving everything around this situation and yet i just can't let it go it's something like there's a lot of stuff in my life i let go i mean i'm a work i'm a working class artist I get told no all the time. I have people do, you know, I'm online. Like I have, I have, I'm not, a, I'm not a stranger to controversy in my life. And I know how to, I think I know how to pretty well let it go. Some people would say I don't because there are some things I just can't let go. And in Olympia, it's made me a little bit of a, of a crazy man. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think this is, I, <laughs> I think of my, uh, it's very different, but when people talk about how Rose McGowan is crazy, I'm like, yeah, I understand why she's crazy. Because if you have, if, if no one will believe you about something, and for her, what it's even with Rose McGowan? oh, she was one of the people who was assaulted by Harvey Weinstein, oh. and she's been talking about it for years, and yeah. everyone's been saying you're crazy, you're crazy, because she is a little crazy. But if you have horrible things happen to you and no one believes you, I it'll drive you crazy. crazy. Yeah. So I, I relate to her crazy. So anyway. Um, I have my own personal story, and one of the way I ask people to ask questions is really to bring their own personal question, but then try and invest their personal story in a maybe a more universal question. And so throughout this, I've spent a lot of time thinking about the way I, I have less problems with the woman who fixated on me and acted in ways that were really inappropriate, mm-hmm. because I think she was suffering a lot at the time. And actually, in the, she has come. She has sent me a letter apologizing and admitting that That's she did nice. everything she did. Um, to me, it's more the institution that allowed that to happen. And it's just come out recently that that same that chaos, this community station, that it's treated a lot of other people the same way. Mm. Different situation, but when someone becomes seems like a problem, rather than listening to them or seeing what's up, they'll just get rid of them, not give any closure to the audience lie about them and lie about them to police, to the campus police, and escort them, like make them into a a threat so they can get rid of them. Um, And that's being addressed, which is actually amazing. Like in the last week, people, more and more people, it's like, it's, it's very different, but it's similar in the way that like when the Harvey Weinstein, when all the Harvey Weinstein women started talking to each other, it's like when people start talking to each other about the same thing happening a kind of healing and solidarity happens and you can actually start to speak up and have people listen to you and take you seriously because if there's three of you or four of you or five of you then it's not just like one person saying yeah i didn't get to keep my show (sighs) so i'm gonna get to a point here uh so i we're gonna be talking a little bit uh with a friend of mine in one of the next segments about this 
strategy for addressing bullying by organizations that I've come up with. Mm -hmm. It's very simple. It's called recognize, de-escalate, and decode. So if something, if someone like me is shouting, hey, some, ah, there's harassment happening, there's abuse, there's corruption, people lied about me. Like, rec like if someone's saying that, you got to recognize it. You can't mm -hmm. just sort of be like, ah, you're not saying that, or you're just crazy, or like recognize that someone's saying something. Then de-escalate the situation, not by saying, oh, we're going to get rid of you now, mm -hmm. or, oh my God, we're afraid we're going to get sued. Ah. De-escalate the situation. Okay, we have someone saying that there's something's going on. Let's find out what's going on. And then decode. Figure out where there's issues of intersectionality or just personality conflict or what, what is actually up. Is it a case of someone being, is it a Harvey Weinstein kind of case? Like, is someone being truly rapey? Or is someone just making someone feeling uncomfortable and a conversation could navigate that among people who actually do want to work together and do want to be respectful and are not, like, assuming... I guess what this is getting to is that I'm talking about the difference between punitive justice and transformative justice. Mm -hmm. Punitive justice is all about punishing someone and saying that if we punish someone, then that will heal the person who is hurt. And I don't agree with that. I completely don't agree with that. I believe in the truth and reconciliation model that Nelson Mandela instituted in South Africa after apartheid, where people who were part of the white establishment were given immunity from prosecution if they came forward publicly in a, you know, in the, a public setting where they admitted to what they did to the people and the families of the people they did it to. They had to listen to the families and the families were able to speak. And all of this was recorded for history. So even though maybe you could say, oh, well, some bad people got away with something, the country got to have some sense of actual healing as opposed to just a bloodletting. And I feel like that is like a really stark example of what I'd like to see. And this goes to your question. Is like, is my healing, is my uh, healing dependent upon somebody else's actions? Mm -hmm. And I do think that in order for, on, for some things, for transformation to occur, it's really important for there to be communication, for, the, for someone to say, I'm sorry, and for someone to say, I forgive you. And I think it's really interesting that right the day this is happening, uh, Louis C.K. Yeah. just came out with his apology and people are saying it's not an apology and some people are saying it's a great apology and it's just an interesting dynamic of of what is it going to take to transform these situations and we're going to be exploring over the course of the show a conversation about Olympia I'm going to invite all of you into my little town of Olympia mm -hmm. where we have a really big issue with bullying but I want you to think of it in a as above so below microcosm macrocosm kind of way because I'm sure that my little town is not the only town that has a problem with institutions not knowing how to address issues of intersectionality and bullying that, that comes up in that. And we can go right to the top and look at Donald Trump and the DNC, mm -hmm. which are just two bullying institutions, and it just trickles just down. Like country of bullies. So here we are <laughs> at the very bottom talking about this tiny little problem in this tiny little town. That is a huge deal but for really, me. But really, we're all bullies. <laughs> well, so my so my question is actually goes to that: right. is that if we know that people who bully have 
probably been bullied. Mm-hmm. And I definitely feel like I've been bullied. So there's a good chance that you've been a bully. That it has made me into a bully. And what I'd like to know, because I don't, I can't, even though I can trans, I might need someone's apology to help transform some of my heart around stuff. I'm the only one who can really stop me from being a bully, just like I, I, I'm asking for those people to be able to say they're sorry. So I want to know where, that's what I'm asking for, the, for my question for the Pop Oracle is where do I need to look out for myself being made a bully by having been bullied? Oh, wow. So, to engage the Pop Oracle, I am now going <laughs> to spin the Wheel of Eight. Na, 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 na. Wheel of Eight. Song number one, <gasps> Harvest Moon. Oh, no. Coves on fire, it's Friday night. Everything be alright if I can stop thinking about overpopulation. What I'm gonna do when all my favorite places turn to piles of trash? Oh, but it's kinda nice, so primitive, buddy bearing witness. To the harvest moon Have you heard her sing She's down for anything Yeah, she's the harvest moon Here to make sure we're all in tune Yeah, I've been Colorado dreaming but I'm not sure I can cut it with the rocky sand real nice California's got me
And that was Harvest Moon from Vivian Cook. The answer to my question, how can I be vigilant against being made a bully when I feel like I have been bullied? And if you out there can't relate to that, then you probably should. Um, so, Vivian, want to tell a little bit about the background and where that song comes from? Yeah. Um, <laughs> so that song is about cleansing a crystal in the Pacific Ocean under the light of the harvest moon. Um, when I lived in L.A., I live in San Francisco now. I live with my best friend from since I was five. Uh, but when I lived in L.A., I lived with this alcoholic assistant to an agent. Um, he was a Coors Light alcoholic. And I started, I developed like this nervous tick starting at 6 a.m. I would just hear the ch- it was just like constant every half hour all day. Um, but when I moved out and he had this dog and this dog that he never walked and it was so fat and so, and it, it attacked other dogs. It was like a pit bull. It wasn't its, you know, like, again, it's speaking to a dog. Like it wasn't its fault that it was a, a aggressive dog. Obviously, you have to socialize dogs. You have to train them. But then I couldn't even walk it. So... Um, that was frustrating for me as an animal lover to have this house, this dog that was just in the house all day and I couldn't even take it outside. Um, but when I moved out, he gave me this crystal. He gave me this beautiful blue crystal. And when I moved to San Francisco, I put it in my living room and I was sitting there with my housemates and I was like, I don't know, guys. I just have a bad feeling about this crystal. Like, it's so beautiful, but it's just, it's got some bad juju or something. And uh, my friend Taylor... Uh, she's like, do you want to go cleanse it in the ocean? And I was like, yeah. Um, so we did that. Uh, we went to, there's this place in Half Moon Bay called Graywell Cove. It's very beautiful. Um, and there were actually a bunch of people there having bonfires. It's, I had never been there when anybody else was ever there. It's a tiny cove. Um, surfers don't go there because there are sharks. <laughs> um, you have to, you can only park on the other side of the road. You have to cross, you have to run across the highway. Um, and I, I got a little, Sad because um, I grew up in the Bay Area. I'm used to having beautiful places to myself, and now I'm starting to have to share them with people, and that can be um, hard for me. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But ultimately, I felt like uh, it was really lovely that so many people had decided to go to a place that I love on the harvest moon, that that was a thing that so many people where I live value. Um, So that's what that song's about. Well, there was definitely some themes there that were, I mean, I, I liked in your story, there were some themes there that really were rich. The dog that was made crazy. I feel like that sometimes. Yeah. Also, just the idea of being connected to nature. Mm-hmm. Like my, a lot of my relationship with Olympia at this point is with the nature of Olympia, with the the place I live has a very, the way it's set up, I have a very... Uh, great! I have a great view of the moon moving across the sky, and it become it definitely nice. is the clock of my life. And so, I think maybe there's something about that, like just grounding in truths outside of myself, and uh, not that it's it's a really hard thing to uh, to decode for me, actually. And this is where I could totally use the wisdom of uh, of a community to help me figure it out. Uh, yeah, well, I think part of yeah. it seems to me just like also um, 
how we project. Like, so uh, like I, the people feel like invade. The other people on the beach feel like invaders. You know, like because <laughs> because I feel a sense of ownership over the beach. But also, like in your story, the institution feels um, cruel because you know they're wrong. But in their minds, you know, it's like it's like the O.J. Simpson story. Like so much of that was like the context of when that happened. So like probably they were like, here's this woman speaking of Harvey, like speaking up about this injustice. And they wanted to listen to her, I'm guessing. I don't have enough information on your story. No, no. And that's that's, no, it's uh, It's like everybody feels like they're the victim. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. I think everyone. I think I think we do. I think uh, there's something about a. Approaching situations like they're a threat—that's why the idea of de-escalating, I think, mm-hmm, is for the, sure, is the key: is to approach a situation that is fraught with intensity to have to have people who are. I guess you know. I think there's something there for me. Maybe there's something about being appreciative. There's. I was thinking about it today before the show. But well, th- also, like you need to de-escalate, right? Like you're still hung up on this. Yeah, you need to de-escalate. Well, I'm constant. That's the thing is, I'm constantly. But I have to de and then I wake up in the morning, and then I have to de-escalate again. I, know. I wake up in That's the morning, life. I have to de-escalate again. <laughs> uh, but I, but something about doing, I, I, I guess I have to think that all of the, I this is the way I approach life, is that all the lessons I've learned in it are towards some, towards something that they have some value, mm-hmm. and to me there is some kind of strength. I. As other people are coming forward about the situation and they're all freaked out and they ha- like I spent 10 years forgiving the situation. I still haven't been able to let it go. But I can honestly say that I have no interest in hurting anyone Mm-mm. involved in the situation. I think they're being hurt by can, by, hold, by holding on to it as much as I'm being hurt by holding on to it. Like this, And the environment is, that we're in is being hurt by it. And there's something about having been – having had to go through – when you have to go through stuff that you really would never want to go through, to face lies and slander and having a, a lot, having a lot of people turn their back on you, and it hurts, it hurts. But then at a certain point, you get to a point where like, oh, you know what? I there's certain things that can't hurt me anymore, mm-hmm. and I think that that's the kind of people who are able to then step into situations that are intense without feeling like. They have to take on or fight against the intensity to recognize, okay, this is intense. I can deal with intensity and I can keep my nervous system calm and I can get in the middle of it so that I can de-escalate a situation, which is actually what I'm trying to do with the situation in Olympia. Even though there are people there who think that I'm after them or like I'm the one talking to the people who are who really are after them Mm. saying, hey, this is a systemic problem. The people who are the villains here are also victims of a system of abuse. They're just at the top of it. And if they don't have boundaries or support in being able to deal with situations that they don't know how to deal with, then they're going to become tyrants. But that doesn't make them ideal scapegoats in the way that I think people are treating them. Like if we get rid of them, then everything will be good. No, we got to we got to de-escalate, recognize, <laughs> de-escalate, and decode. And that's what this show is going to be all about. 
Thanks for listening to Radio 8 Ball on Feral Audio. If you'd like more information about the Pop Oracle, please check out our website at Radio8Ball.com, where you can find out about upcoming shows, about asking your own question on the podcast, and about our Radio 8 Ball app that allows you to engage the Pop Oracle directly in the form of every song ever performed on Radio 8 Ball. I hope today's musical divination brings and brought the sync to you wherever you are. Until next time... I'm your host, Andras Jones, wishing you lots of spine-tingling synchronicities, connections with the natural world, and all the inspiration you can handle. It's the radio.